Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. Glad to have all of you with us for the first political rewind of a brand new week. It's Monday if you're listening in real time. I was really glad to hear Drew Dawson include in his newscast just a minute ago the news that Atlanta United is moving on to the next round in the playoffs. There were about 60-plus thousand of us who braved a miserable day to get down to Mercedes-Benz Stadium to watch Atlanta United eke out a one nothing, 1-0 victory. Uh, and they're moving forward, so it's going to be fun to watch them and hope they. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know that I would brag about uh, braving the weather to get inside a enclosed stadium when you had ninety thousand bulldog fans standing out in the rain for four hours on Saturday. You've shamed me, Mr. Galloway. <laughs> I, I was sitting there going, could they not get the top back on or something? I was the trying top to was closed, but for those of us who can't afford the expensive parking right inside, uh, we have to walk quite a ways to get to the uh, stadium. Anyhow, that's Jim Galloway you heard first. He, of course, is the lead political writer for the AJC. He appears in the Wednesday and Sunday newspaper and oversees the Political Insider blog. And uh, you then heard from Wendy Davis, Rome City Commissioner uh, and a member of the Democratic National Committee, a Georgia member of the Democratic National Committee. She's going to tell us all sorts of secrets today, I right? know. We're going to find out where the debate's going to be, thanks to Wendy. Uh, <laughs> I Wendy's, have the answer to that. I love that. Uh, thank you for driving down wow, from breaking Rome. news. Yeah, yeah. You it's going to be in Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Wendy. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for making the long drive down from Rome to be with us. And Eric Tannenblatt uh, is here as well. He is a longtime Republican insider who has done yeoman's work for everybody from George H.W. Bush to Paul Coverdale to George W. Bush. You were a Mitt Romney uh, supporter back in the 2012 election and... Uh, you continue to be one of the bigger bundlers in the uh, Southeast. It's good to have you here. Glad to be here. Hey, you know what? I'm going to jump around just a, a little bit because it didn't occur to me to uh, bring this up. But I, I mentioning your uh, support for Mitt Romney, and I know you have a pretty close relationship with him. Uh, how do you see the way he's positioning himself right now in relation to President Trump? Uh, he's it's been it's it takes a certain amount of courage to speak out. Uh, the way he has, even though he's got a pretty safe state on his side. It doesn't surprise me at all. I think he's uh, what you see is, you know, that's who Mitt Romney is. And as you said, he, you know, he just got elected. He's in a pretty safe seat. Uh, you, you know, I don't know how long he plans to stay in the U.S. Senate if it's just one term. But I think he feels passionate and strongly, as, you know, he did an interview yesterday. Some people may have seen on Axios on uh, HBO yep. last night. And he talked about, you know, the character of the country. And that's something that he talked about throughout his campaign and, you know, both in 2008 and 2012. So I think that's something that is really important to him. So here's the big question. And, of course, it's totally speculative. There's starting to be more rumblings among Republicans about President Trump and his suitability and the kinds of problems that he could bring with him in a reelection campaign. Could you imagine a Mitt Romney thinking that maybe there could come a moment if the president starts to really falter that he might want to challenge for in that race? No. And I think he said that yesterday, too. Yeah. I mean, he, he he you know, he ran twice and the American people uh, didn't pick him. Yeah. And, you know, he's now serving in the U.S. Senate. And I think he's doing what he thinks uh, he needs to be doing in the Senate. Okay, thank you for that. Jim Galloway, uh, I'm going to give you a first shot at this one. I, I mentioned that uh, uh, there was a piece in uh, the AJC, in the Political Insider, in which Democrats proposed, it was a Bluestein story, Greg mm -hmm. Bluestein's story, coming out of the Ohio debate, the debate in Westerville, Ohio, and anticipating the debate here next month, um, Bluestein sort of tried to bridge the two debates by saying Democrats here think that Georgia could become the next Ohio. 
meaning the next real bellwether state, determining who will be the next president. Ohio has correctly predicted or has been on the right side of presidential races 29 out of the last 31 elections. Is it wishful thinking for Democrats to believe that if Ohio is increasingly safe Republican territory, that Democrats might look to Georgia as a bellwether here? I don't, I don't know if, if, if the two are linked. I, I would say that, that, that my old colleague Tom Baxter always said that o- Ohio was, was simply uh, Alabama with Cleveland. Stuck in the middle of it, uh, and it is it, it, it is a wow. it is a it is a it, it is a, 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 a very part of a whole lot of Ohio is just as conservative as Georgia, yeah. and so in, in that way, yeah, it is a very swingy state. Uh, I, I think the the points that Greg was trying to make was that that you know that actually in, in the gubernatorial race, uh, uh, Democrats fared better here than they did in Ohio, and they, they lost both races but by a smaller margin. Here. Yeah, yeah. one of the uh, uh, pieces of data that he uh, uh, cites is that in 2016, Wendy, uh, Democrats spent $70 million in Ohio, and Trump won by eight points. Georgia only got $8 million of Democratic money, and uh, Trump won by a narrower margin here, only five points. So, so this, Wendy, is part of the kind of ammunition that de- Democrats in, in the state, your colleagues, are trying to employ to encourage the National Party to invest much more heavily in Georgia. And that's the real point of all this. Sure. And it and, and the reality is that if you have a lot of resources, it can shape elections, right? I mean, Ohio is not in some vacuum just, I mean, again, would you say it was $70 million yeah. being spent there? Um People have we we I think we are at the point where people believe that Georgia is now in play and we will have resources here. You will see that people will start spending resources here in the primary. And I think we'll definitely be in play in November. If uh, if we get our things together, we'll be very much in play. Uh, Eric, do you think Georgia is in play? I don't. I think the Democrats would like to uh, hope that it is in play. I mean, there's no doubt that the demographics in the state are changing. Uh, however, we're still a Republican state. We've got a Republican governor, majority of the congressional delegation, both chambers of the legislature. Every constitutional and, officer. Right, every constitutional hmm. officer. So I don't think we're there yet. Uh, and I think that the Democrats are going to have a contested uh, primary in the Senate race. And, you know, the, their candidates have not raised the number of the, the resources like Senator Purdue has raised. And so it's in the Democrats' best interest to try and get national money uh, to pour into the state. But, you know, resources are going to be scarce. There's a lot of competitive Senate races around the country. Uh, and so I'm just not sure that Georgia is going to be uh, on the radar as much as the Democrats in this state would like it to but, be. But I think that competition is exactly why you've seen so many arguments. You've seen Georgia Democrats press so hard. I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, at the 1st of October, uh, uh, the Abrams camp put out a, a, a something like a, a 14 or 15-page document. It, it was an investment uh, portfolio uh, prospectus. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, 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 you know it, it, it sounded like somebody was fishing for venture capital. And I think that's what this is all about. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a part of what it's about, right? Like, we would like the resources to be here. We feel like if we get the resources to be more competitive, to have more boots on the ground, to have the, the capacity to get more neighbors talking to their neighbors and move our message in all 159 counties, uh, it it will be we'll have a more competitive race and we have the two Senate races. I mean, there's not another state has that next year. You know what, though, uh, Jim, one thing Ohio has that Georgia doesn't, they have Sherrod Brown. I mean, they you know, you talked a minute ago about the fact that that Republicans dominate all of the major office constitutional offices and most of the federal offices as well. At least Ohio has that one Democratic. Yeah, they, have, they have a foothold and they have and they and they also have a history. Uh, and that's why, you know, you have to it's it's uh, it, that's what look, that's why Chuck Schumer was leaning on Stacey Abrams so hard to run for the U.S. Senate. Well, and you but and you also have in Georgia what you don't have in a lot of other states in that we do have a slice significant now slices of every demographic you could 
be looking toward, right? You have a lot of disgruntled farmers, right, from everything that's gone on. And I'm I'm telling you all, I'm, I'm not trying to be disrespectful of the president, but uh, this unsteadiness and, and back and forth and changing your mind and creating all these uh, international situations, um, I mean, I feel very confident he's going to be the nominee, but I, th- I think there's nothing like it's been before. I think it's all wide open. All right. Let's, um, let, let's move on from there and just talk about this debate. And, Wendy, since you are a member of the Democratic National Committee, I do want to get your take on this. We've been asking panelists for the last week since we've known Georgia was going to be the, the site. Uh, where would you put it? If you had your well, preference. Well, I offered for them to come to Rome, right? <laughs> that's... Uh, so that's not going to shock anybody <laughs> that that's what I wanted. Um, but, you know, I would probably I would probably do it. Um, the problem is you've got to have the right venue, right? And, you, and so the question is, do you have the venue that's just the easiest for a TV set? Okay, all things that... being equal. If all you had bring... the venue, where does it do Democrats the most good is really the question. I I think it would be interesting to put it in Gwinnett County. Yeah, there have been some people talking about it. I, the question I have, Eric, is: Does it? Are we? You know, I got We got a radio show on the air, and we've got to find some, you know, way to dig into stories like this. So we assume that it's going to mean something where the debate is held. Does it matter? I really don't think it's going to matter. Uh, I mean, it's going to be held in the Atlanta region. Uh, if I was a, a betting man, I would say that, you know, Mayor Bottoms is going to do everything she can to have it somewhere in the city of Atlanta. Uh, but, you know, it's going to be in the Atlanta region. And I think that it doesn't matter if it's in Cobb, Gwinnett. I mean, maybe for the local people a little bit, but I, I wouldn't put a lot of weight on that. Well, I, again, I think there's a nice story to tell depending on what you pick. And we have a lot of great stories to pick from, right? You can have Cradle of the Civil Rights Movement. You can have... You know, the young people at HBCUs, you could have the exciting entrepreneurial things that are going on in Atlanta. You can have the diversity that we have in Gwinnett, or you can have the we're winning the suburbs now uh, by putting it in Cobb or North. Yeah, Fulton. yeah. Look, I mean, just just for, for, for people listening in here, the, the, I mean, the logistics are, are kind of king. They, they, they determine you've got to have a, a venue that doesn't cost too much for a network to 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 to, to dress up. Uh, in, in the red, white, and blue bunting, you've got to have a got to have a place to put several hundred reporters who will want to be there for for a good thirty six hours or so, and you've you, and but you also have to have it in a place where where you've got mul- multiple opportunities for. I mean, you're 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 basically getting the national party apparatus down here for 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 thirty six hours, and fundraising is going to be key. So you have to have you have to have the hotels. And, and and venues around that, that that'll work for that. I've, I've had to scout out venues for things like this before, and it, it's, it's not as easy as you, as you would think. And believe it or not, Atlanta, and Atlanta's gotten better, but Atlanta doesn't, believe it or not, have as many venues as you would think to do something like this. But I would look at university campuses, uh, gymnasiums, yeah. Uh, you know, big convention facilities that they could turn into uh, a, a stage setting with with chairs. Um, but off, you also off, off air. We were talking about uh, taking it back to the Carter Center. Yeah, like like yeah, that. Were, but it's but now that may be too small. But yeah. you know what? You just said something so important, Jim. We can speculate about where the debate will make make the most sense politically for Democrats and all that. But you said the most important thing in the long run. This is a decision that NBC News is going to make. I mean, their partner is the Washington Post. But you print guys are easy to accommodate. (laughs) The network is going to have enormous logistics to work out. And in the long run, it's going to be their call because they know what they need to stage this debate correctly without regard to politics. Well, one last point about the campaigns. To me, I think this will be uh, something we look back at, and this debate will be a turning point within the Democratic primary in Georgia. Uh, the the folks that just fly in, do the debate, maybe have a little fancy fundraiser and fly back out, um, will be sending one message. And the ones that do uh, more associated events uh, along with the debate um, might be sending another message. Okay, so. so a couple of points to make before we move on to another subject. One, uh, we know that uh, Chairwoman Nikita, Nikima Williams 
uh, often listens to the show, and certainly you know, her husband does. So if either of you want to tweet right now and let us know where this debate is going to be held, we'll be glad to put it on the air as soon as possible. And number two, Wendy, are you going to want to be able to give out your email address for the people who are going to want to turn to you for tickets to the debate since you are a member of the DNC? <laughs> yes, I, I would love for them to. It's wdinrome at gmail.com. Oh, my God. Don't, oh, my God. All right. I, I mean, that's the kind of open person I am. I want people who are Democrats to reach out to me. Okay. I'm not going to be able to get everybody tickets, but I'll, I'll be able to let them know what's up and where the extra wow. viewing parties are. Wow. All right, Wendy. Uh, Jim Galloway, you pointed out an interesting story as we were putting today's show together. You, you read a piece in the National Journal that gave us some uh, reason to wonder how safe the U.S. Senate really is for Republicans in the 2020 cycle. I mean, we're, a lot of us are focused on whether or not uh, the Democrats can maintain control of the House. The conventional wisdom is it's going to be hard for the Democrats to take over the Senate. But the National Journal piece has some interesting information in it. No, and, and this I was reading this last night, and it, it just kind of popped out. You have, uh, what, four out of uh, you had four four Republican senators uh, get outpaced by their by their Democratic challengers in Iowa, Maine, Arizona, and North Carolina, North, North, North Carolina, Maine, yeah, and uh, and that's not in, and then you've got then you've got the uh, Republicans running into trouble in, in Colorado as well, and you have a. Uh, if you, I think, the, what's it's it's five, it's a five seat. If you count, if you assume that Doug Jones is going to lose in Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, Dems need five seats. I think it's four. four. Four seats. They need four. Four seats. Okay. All right. And look, if if you're if you're if you're running behind in in North Carolina, where Tom Tillis is trying to, to to seek reelection, then then Georgia is also in play. I think. And I think what this what to me what this underlines is. The activity you saw in D.C. last week uh, vis-a-vis uh, uh, the senatorial relationship with, with Donald Trump, they're, they're getting very, very worried about that. You, you, that, that, that op-ed from Mitch, Mitch McConnell on Syria, was that was, that, was, that was Mitch McConnell's red line, I think. You know, just a warning to the president that you don't, you don't cross this one here. Uh, and, and if they're getting worried, if impeachment takes hold, if we have a lengthy trial— uh, come January, then you could see a, a lot of those numbers in those states go down even further. I want to get, Eric, your take. But before I do, the, from the National Journal piece in Iowa, uh, obviously a crucial state, uh, uh, Joni Ernst, Senator Ernst, didn't even hit a million dollars in fundraising at this point, which is and, and is being outraised by a businesswoman named Teresa Greenfield. Um, in uh, in Arizona, you're talking about third quarter numbers, though. You're not talking about totals. not totals, right? But they out. But still, I'd love to go back and look at totals beyond that, Eric. But um, the momentum is not favoring these candidates at this point. I'm, and by the way, I'm not sure it's just third quarter totals. We need to go look at that, I think. In uh, Arizona, without regard to numbers, Martha McSally is uh, struggling. And it's trailing right now against her well-known Democratic challenger, uh, Mark Kelly. She's behind him by a good five points. Tom Tillis has the lowest approval ratings, Jim. You point about talk about North Carolina. Of any sitting senator, he's at 33 percent. Don't those numbers give you pause as a Republican, Eric? Well, look, you know, you'd, you'd like to see the Republican uh, candidates or the senators uh, actually, you know, continue their pace and, and raise more money than the challengers. However, I think it is important to look at the total amount of money raised and the cash on hand, not just third quarter numbers. Some of these candidates just got in the race. And, you know, it's the first first quarter you get in the race that you get the easy money. And a lot of those incumbents already raised that easy money because they're federal races and you're capped out as to how much you can contribute. The thing that uh, we also need to remember, too, is that the president is raising record amounts of money. And a lot of these states we're talking about are states that the president is going to invest a lot of money turning out the vote. A lot of those people that are going to be coming out for the president are going to also support these Republican candidates for the Senate or these incumbent senators. So I'm not as concerned. I mean, I would like to see, you know, our candidates raise a lot more money, but uh, I'm not as concerned about it. 
Tom Faust confirms what you said. These are third quarter totals uh, that we're talking let, about. Let me here. ask you. Let, let me ask you something, Eric. I mean, and you're you're the you're the expert when it comes to, to raising raising uh, political money here. Is uh, yes, uh, Trump is raising just gobs and gobs of money. What three hundred million in in this in this quarter? How much of that? I mean, how much of that is is uh, uh, kind of sucking up everything and making it harder for other Republicans to raise cash? No, I don't think it. Well, it, I don't. I don't think that's the case because a lot of the money that the president is raising is low dollar donors. He's probably the most successful low dollar fundraiser for Republicans, or that we've had in in my lifetime, and uh, he is just raising a lot, a lot of grassroots, a lot of grassroots money. And the thing to remember, too, is that, you know, politics today is really becoming uh, somewhat of a a science and that you can identify your voter and make sure they turn out and what is going to push your voter to turn out. And having the resources that the president's campaign has is going to allow him to target his voters and get them to turn out. That's why he has all these rallies. Every time he has these rallies, he's capturing data from the people that attend. And 30 percent of the attendees at these rallies are people that are not known Republicans that are turning out to his rally. And then once they get in the system, they're communicating with them over and over again. Wendy, we're going to want to talk about this on another show in much more depth. But in in in, in terms of what Eric's just saying about how much money the the president's campaign has to spend right now. There was a fascinating piece in, I think, the Washington Post this weekend about how much money the Trump campaign is spending on Facebook ads right now. They're just dumping a load of money into those ads. Most of them are negative attacks on uh, the Democrats in the race or on Democrats uh, in the House of Representatives. And Democrats aren't and the Post piece points out, Democrats aren't even capable of responding. Right. Um, so, I mean, he's learned what worked last time and he's doing it again. And that's not surprising to many people. And um, Eric is right. The Republicans will be very well financed. Uh, I would love for them to just sit back and say they don't have anything to worry about. But if you look at those approval numbers, I think what it shows really is what's happening in the agriculture sector. And also, you know, the people who bought into President Trump as an agent of change and all the promises he made that he hasn't fulfilled. And uh, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see if the Republican parties that have started canceling their primaries, if they have a chance to gin that back up or not. Um, But all these Republican senators are at Trump's hip. And let's see if they continue being comfortable there. And, And the other thing, too, we haven't factored in. We know that President Trump. Uh, is going to be the Republican nominee. We don't know who the Democratic yeah. nominee is going to be. And if it's someone in the, in, take someone like Elizabeth Warren, Senator Warren, in, in here in Georgia, I mean, she's she's going to be a lightning rod and we'll probably raise more money with her as the nominee. So I think it's still still too early. And I think that there's another opportunity to raise a lot of money on both sides based on who the nominee is. All right, let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. And we come when we come back, uh, we'll continue talking about Georgia politics. This is Political Rewind. That car of yours you no longer need. What to do? Selling it can be a hassle. Consider donating it to support this station. It's easy. Pickup is free. It could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. And you could even get a tax deduction. Get the process started today. Give us a call to learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. And thanks. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org cars. And thanks. Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff is leading the impeachment inquiry into whether the president pressured Ukraine to investigate a political rival. I do not think that conduct, criminal or not, is okay. And the day we do is the day we will look back and say that is the day America lost its way. A look at the congressman this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. It's 4 till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org. A couple of quick notes about uh, Georgia Senate races. Jim Galloway, uh, first of all, we got news this morning that Teresa Tomlinson, who was the first of the Democrats to jump into the David Perdue race, and who 
whose campaign in many ways has been measured from the first quarter reporting period on uh, by how much money she is or is not raising, uh, is addressing that to some extent. She's brought in Steve Leeds. Now, we don't usually talk about behind-the-scenes people like Steve Leeds, but it's clear he's got some heavy fundraising chops, and it's clear she needs that right now. Right, right. He's, I mean, he goes back decades in Georgia politics. He goes back to Max Cleland in the 1990s. He was uh, he was helping uh, uh, Michelle Nunn in 2014 in her race against David Perdue. He is uh, he is he is coming on as a, as a as a national finance chairman, which which tells me that that uh, that. Uh, she's kind of looking at what John Ossoff is doing and trying to match that by going abroad. Yeah. Um, Wendy, another quick uh, note on the Democratic Senate race, race number one, John Ossoff, uh, is he's he's realizing, as as you all put it in the Insider today, Jim, he's realizing, Wendy, what, what happens when you take money from some individuals, things they've done or said stick to you. And Republicans will probably use this against him if he ends up in the general. Jim Barksdale, who's Democratic nominee for U.S. Senate, we have to recall, gave him a contribution. Republicans were quick to point out that Barksdale, right after September 11th, I think the day after the anniversary, uh, sent out a tweet essentially saying that the destruction of the Twin Towers, the government is hiding something from us. There's some sort of conspiracy at work here. Uh, you know, Asaf's not saying this, but he's stuck with uh, what Barksdale said. Uh, yes, uh, that's going to happen. <laughs> I, I mean, that's going to happen. I, I don't, Do I don't, you send I don't that think, contribution back? Um, I, I, it would be easier for him, too. I don't know that he will. Right. Like it'd be easier to put it behind you. Oh, I don't I don't agree with that or just say I don't agree with that. And you're going to have another donor that's going to be a lawyer who represented a bad guy. You know, I mean, they're there. You can do that. You can play that game on both sides. Yeah, but there's Um, something about talking about 9-11. Yeah, but I also don't think that that he reached out to Jim Barksdale for that contribution right. because of his stand about that, right? <laughs> right? I mean, I think people are a little smarter than no, that. No, the, the other thing you have to realize, this is, I mean, the current climate, we have a an, an, an impeachment inquiry based on the on on the on on the uh, uh, certainty that the president Donald Trump was pressing the Ukrainian government to validate his own conspiracy theory that negated everything that U.S. Yeah. intelligence uh, agencies said, and that, that it was Ukraine. I, I want to be really careful here, because before the Asov people start tweeting, I am not suggesting that in some way Asov is going to pay a big, big price for this. Eric, you, are, you contribute to campaigns. All I'm saying is, every now and then, you find yourself having to... Uh, speak out in some way about a contribution from someone who's made the news in a way you wish they hadn't. Yeah, That's I mean, all. I think it's a little different if he sent a check, I think, as Wendy said. He should just return it and put it, put yeah. it behind him. Campaigns now you know, are becoming a little more sophisticated when they have events and they have a host committee that they vet the hosts and make sure that there's nothing like this if you're hosting an event. But, you know, if someone just makes a contribution... You can't really hold that against him. Yeah, I think no, no, I agree. I, I absolutely yeah. agree. Okay. I absolutely agree. And, and, and to the Steve Leeds thing, I have full disclosure, I worked with him on Max Cleveland's Secretary of State's race. That was my first statewide race. As I was. Oh, so he goes back further. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But, you know, it to me, it's not—I I don't see that as a re- reaction of the Tomlinson campaign to— like Ossoff is doing this piece better than us. I think they started focusing on Georgia, which is where she should have started focusing. And um, and it, it's a balancing act. Uh, running for the U.S. Senate, as I've said other times on this show, you, you just can't walk through the door and think you're going to be able to raise the money uh, to be competitive. I certainly think our nominee will have the resources to be competitive, both our nominees next year. And, and I think this primary will be a really healthy primary with outstanding candidates. Uh, one last note about the Senate races. Senate race number two. Uh, tomorrow, Matt Lieberman, who has now announced that he is running for that second uh, Senate seat, the one that's being vacated by Johnny Isaacson. And as we've done with every candidate who's declared for the uh, one of the two seats, uh, he will be in here tomorrow to get a little time talking with us about his uh, 
vision for what he would do as a member of the United States Senate. So that's on tomorrow's show at 2 o'clock. Um, Jim, I'm going to jump around just a little bit. Uh, let's go to the 6th Congressional District race because you all wrote a piece the other day that pointed out that there's a conservative pack that is going to spend some money. It's a pro-Trump pack that's going to spend like a million dollars or so to, to go after Democratic incumbents who are in vulnerable uh, uh, seats uh, on impeachment, really put right. pressure mm-hmm. on them on impeachment. And you point out that Lucy McBath is not one of those 28. What is the implication of that from well, there, your there's, point there, of view? There's, there's two. I mean, and, uh, number one, it's, it was a relative, it's a relatively small campaign. Small, yeah. Because it's only, I think, a million dollars. Yes. And I online think, ads. On, online ads. Yeah. And, and, so the, and the only TV investment was aimed at, I think, at, a, at, a, at, at uh, uh, the Pennsylvania 8th, the Virginia 7th, and Iowa first race. Yes, and part of that is those are smaller media markets where it doesn't cost as where much you can money it. to yeah. buy uh, yeah. TV time, right? Right. But the other part of that too is is that uh, is that I think what we're realizing now is that the sixth district is a lo- has changed a lot more in the last uh, three four years than uh, than anybody has anticipated, and that I think it's going to be a harder nut to crack. Than, than many Republicans for, Republicans. for Republicans. Wendy? So so I think it, it part of uh, agreeing with you, you know, part of that, right? Like it's a, the rate, the district has changed in a lot of ways. But I think it's also, don't aren't you trying to impact how that member of Congress will behave? It's not just they're trying to impact the election. And I don't think they see McBath as somebody who might waffle or get all, oh, that's true. Yeah. you know, mm-hmm. get all, uh, oh, I'm not sure what to do about, you know, how this path moves forward. So I think that's a part of it. And one of the things that just struck my ear a moment ago, we all sat around this table and nodded a minute and said, a million dollar advertising campaign, that's not very big. Uh, Again, I just want us to like see the world we're in and how it's so different from just a few cycles ago. But also, like, sometimes I've got to wonder, like... Wow. I mean, what are we doing with all this money, right? And when a million dollars is Trump change. Eric, what what are the chances Republicans can turn over that sixth district seat? I think they have a a very good, very good chance to do it. Um, I think, you know, we we have to get through our primary first. Mm. Um, And, you know, once we have a nominee, I think that the Republicans are energized to get that seat back. It's been in Republican hands for a long time. And I think even up until the wee hours of the last election, we thought we had won. It was a one and a half point difference, something like that, between the two of them, between Handel and McBath. I oh, think. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, it could have gone the other way on another uh, on another night. Yeah. But but I, I also think that we're that again we're getting back to Donald Trump and impeachment. That's that is going to be the thing by which Lucy McBath is going to be measured by by that vote. And I think she's already kind of kind of on her way. There she hasn't. She has voted for impeachment inquiry. She is, she is trying to to, to maintain a little bit of, of distance because she's got to make another vote on the on the House Judiciary Committee because right. the evidence that's being dug out uh, dug up now is going to have to be presented there. Right. And also, I'd bring up what I said before. We don't know who the Democratic nominee will be for president. We don't know who the nominee will be or who our senator will be for Senate seat two, who the governor oh, yeah. uh, appoints. Yeah. And so you're going to have a Two two uh, senators, Republican senators, that are going to be running, and you know you may have a very extreme Democratic nominee. Um, let's move on for a few minutes here, uh, Jim Galloway. You picked up on something that you you and I both learned about together on this show a couple weeks back. Charles Cook, Chuck Cook, the uh, immigration mm-hmm. lawyer who uh, uh, is on the show with some regularity, pointed out a stealth immigration bill that was moving in the Senate. And you decided to dig into it a little bit more because it's really an interesting bill. It's complex, so let's do it simple. Yeah, it, this is this is this is a this is a topic for either for newspapers yeah. or 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 an NPR station. Yeah. So I think we're on, we're on we're on good we're on good ground here. Right. Okay. Uh, first of all, I mean, just let us recognize that immigration reform changes to immigration. Uh, law have has become some, somewhat impossible since 2007. No comprehensive reform, that's for exactly, sure. Exactly, exactly. So what this is, is, okay, just to take you back, 
in, 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 in the mid-60s, uh, immigration in, into the United States was pretty much directed only at Western Europe. I mean, there, uh, there were severe restrictions on, 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 on immigrants from other directions, and that, that included immigrants of color. In 65, the, the, state, uh, the, the national immigration law was changed, so, but it put a cap on, of 7%. On all uh, all green cards, on all green cards cards from an Uh, individual country, right? An individual country could have no more than than that. Okay, that that worked for a while. Then we had a uh, we've had the tech boom since the nineteen nineties. India has become this terrific source uh, for for uh, for 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 high tech uh, industries. Uh, including California and and somewhat in in Utah as as well, uh, and we'll get to that. Then, so they've got more than seven percent. They've got a backlog that's probably close to half a million people right people now from India. Tech, not mostly tech technology living in the United States. Yeah. Uh, th- these are workers and their families. So it's created this uh, incredible problem. You have Mike Lee in Utah uh, pitch a bill uh, that's already passed the House very quietly. No, no, no committee hearings. No, you know, it's it's all been under what's we, what we call the consent agenda, where if you can get two thirds or more, then then uh, then there's then you can really do pass legislation without debate, and we're within one vote in the U.S. Senate on some legislation that Mike Lee of Utah is is, is uh, has has got that would take the state the the the, the cap that seven percent cap off. And if that happens, you also have people warning that for the next decade, the only people who can get green cards are going to be uh, uh, those uh, from India. Those from India. And that's upset quite a few people. David Perdue put a, a hold on this bill for a period of time, In September, but changed his mind. Well, he, he got what he wanted. Yes. And what happened was the Georgia Hospital Association, knowing that they have had begun, they have begun importing nurses which are also, you know, these are these are these are these are, these are uh, high degree uh, uh, occupations as well. Uh, Canada, the Philippines, uh, they they got a guarantee in this bill. I think I think forty four hundred over a, mm-hmm. over a, a certain period. And, well, I think and, it's four or five years. And, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. if if I might, can I jump in at this point? Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. and, and Eric, I think that's what the bottom line is for Georgia on this. It is a complicated st- subject, but. The concern has been that, fine, you have uh, Indian technology uh, executives who come into the country and provide enormous value to the tech companies, but you have you have uh, uh, immigrants from other countries who are in high demand here in hospital settings, doctors' offices, that sort of thing, and this new law was blocking them from coming in to Georgia, specifically among other states. Right, and this is this is one of those unintended consequences if you were not paying attention, and so uh, I think we should all be grateful for what Senator Perdue did here because, you know, we have Grady Hospital in Augusta, and I think you'll find around the state there's Philippine nurses that are filling much-needed nursing slots, and we have a problem with rural health care in this state right now. And if this bill went through as it was authored, and by the way, besides Senator Lee, the co-sponsor of that was Kamala Harris. That's right. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, and, 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 and Amy Klobuchar is on there, too. Right. Right. And so so I think that, you know, at least the bill as it's been – now, it hadn't passed yet. It's still making its way through the system. Well, I th- I think that uh, I-, I would love for us to talk about rural health care because I read an interesting article I'd like to bring into it. But the thing that struck me about the the piece besides immigration is really complicated, yes. But the the point that was made in the piece about how everything was so behind the scenes and secret and there weren't public hearings and we're not having, uh, you know, open dialogue about these important issues, again, that troubles me. Yeah. Yeah. That troubles me. I get that. I mean, I get it, but it troubles me. Uh, if you, it, because this is complicated, uh, Jim Galloway would be more than happy for you to read the entire column that oh, he please. wrote in yesterday's <laughs> paper. It's on the AJC website, AJC.com. Go to the Political Insider blog, and you will find a link to it there. Uh, and, Wendy, we will talk about rural health care the next time you come back and do this show. How about that? Fair enough. <laughs> All fair right. Enough. Let's take our final break of the show, and we've got a lot more when we come back. 
My name is Dana Brown. I am the program manager at the Georgia Adoption Reunion Registry. Our goal is to help persons impacted by adoption experience healthy reconnections to impact healthy well-being. We underwrite with GPB because of your extensive listening audience that covers the state of Georgia. It's an effective way to get the word out about what we do across the state of Georgia. To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. On the next Fresh Air... We talk about Janis Joplin, the uncompromising, barrier-breaking rock star with Holly George Warren, author of the new biography, Janis. She says Joplin made it all look effortless, but it was very hard work. Join us. Fresh air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Rome City Commissioner Wendy Davis is with us. Uh, Eric Tannenblatt, not only, you know, I didn't introduce you with your full resume by saying you're not only uh, very active in Republican Party politics nationally in the state of Georgia, you are also the global head of government relations for Denton's the world's largest law firm. <laughs> thanks, Bill. I just, it thanks, makes for, me, thanks for the commercial. It makes me feel, it's, I like to say that. Um, so Greg Bluestein, Jim, just uh, uh, moved an important story. I'll read you the lead. President Donald Trump is set to headline a fundraiser in Atlanta next month, meaning November, to bolster Republican efforts to fortify Georgia amid increasing Democratic efforts to flip the state. The president's campaign will hold a fundraiser on November 8th, according to several people with direct knowledge of his travel plans who are not authorized to speak publicly. So, Wendy, uh, the debate is November 20th. Um, One of the questions I've been asking Republican panelists on the show has been how are Republicans going to counter it? And uh, the president's coming in two weeks earlier. Yeah. So now we know. Now we know he's going to, you know, try to bolster things before the our crowd gets here. Well, Jim? I would I would point out that one does not bolster unless one thinks something needs bolstering. Well, yeah. it's, not, it's not. I don't think it's a... It, so, uh, so I, did you just say a fundraiser or a rally? No, uh, it is a... Thank you for asking yes, that. It is it, a fundraiser. Yeah, fundraiser. Yes. Yeah, so... But wait, does the president ever come into a state without holding a rally, too? Come on. I, I, he I doesn't don't sneak many but, places. No. But Atlanta has become one of the uh, cities that Republican candidates now stop into because of uh, our ability to raise money here. Okay. Democrats well, too. All right. Good. Give us something to talk about in the next, next yeah, couple I, of weeks. I, 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 look, look, Trump is all about image, about being seen. Being seen. Yeah. And I think he's decided it's important to be seen in Georgia. Yeah. He may have 55,000 people for a rally here the way he did in, oh, no, I'm sorry, it was 10,000 people. I think it, I think it means something. So uh, I, I think, so I, to... so I think uh, Andrew Yang's um, acronym, math, might help the president. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Jim Galloway, uh, the legislature passed and the governor signed into law six months ago a bill that allows for production, uh, for growing and and refining medical marijuana. Uh, it's limited production. There are only a certain number of licenses that will be given out for uh, businesses to mm-hmm. start up. Um, and yet six months later, it requires a commission to oversee this, to pick who will uh, be granted licenses. The governor hasn't appointed anybody. The lieutenant governor hasn't appointed anybody. I think the speaker may have a... In other words, not a single commissioner has been appointed. What's going on? Are they afraid of this issue still? Well, I think there is a, a, a problem built into the legislation that it, it, it that insists on it, the, this board be peopled by do-gooders, by people without any kind of ambition to get involved in, in, in the business. Because it says you cannot have any connection to the in, to the to the to the cannabis industry uh, while you're serving, nor can you do it for five years afterwards. That's a, that's for uh, when it comes to to Georgia uh, lobbying uh, law. That's that's pretty tough. So you think it has more? You suspect that behind the scenes there may there may have been efforts to find people to identify individuals for this. 
and the conditions are such that people are just saying, well, I think I it's, really I think it's, I think it's it. going to be hard. I think you can always find somebody, but then you're, you're all, if you're the governor or the speaker or the, or the, or the lieutenant governor, you're also looking for quality. But this is also terribly controversial, it's, Wendy. It's, it's very and I, controversial. I can't help but wonder if there's just a little reluctance to pull the trigger. Well, you know, there's there's a couple of things that the the Republican uh, base has a lot of difficulty with. Uh, yeah, if you absolutely. say the word marijuana, people get nervous, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and so, uh, I, you know, I'd offer to to give the guy. I haven't thought about it, but I bet I could give the governor, lieutenant governor, speaker, some names of some people who are just. Regular Jordans, Georgians who'd like an opportunity to to make sure this is done right and people are treated fairly. There, it does turn out there more than fifty people have applied for uh, one of these uh, positions. You don't you don't think there's any kind of nervousness about moving forward? No, I with just this. think that this is this is a high stakes industry and there's a lot at play here, and I think that it's complicated. And, and I'm delighted they put those ethical barriers in there. This. It, Good government. Okay. Um, in the meantime, though, what it means is that we have not solved the problem that so many families who are licensed now to be able to have medical marijuana, many cases for their children who have seizures and other conditions that the legislature has now passed into law can use uh, uh, medical marijuana, and they are still in a place where they're going to have to sm- essentially smuggle that the 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 drug into right, the state right, right um all right eric tannenblatt i thought about you when uh all of this stuff about trump holding the uh g7 <laughs> at his resort in miami came up and and the re- and it wasn't about politics uh per se it was because it reminded me that in 2004 Mm-hmm. Uh, President George W. Bush, the United States, was the host of the G8 that year. And President George W. Bush decided and his team decided it should be at Sea Island, Georgia. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I know you've been close to the Bush family. I know they considered, had considered you over the years an important advisor. I can't imagine you didn't have some impact, maybe not in picking that site, but we're, you may very well have been deeply involved in what happened down there. I was. I actually was the state coordinator for yeah. the Sea Island Summit. <laughs> and I left the governor's office in January, and he appointed me by executive order to finish through, to stay through June uh, and lead that effort. I, I will say that I was in the governor's office when uh, Sea Island was selected. Uh, it had a lot to do, I would say, with three people get the credit for it coming to Georgia, and that was uh, uh, Senator Rob Portman from Ohio, who had a home down uh, at Sea Island and was cousins to Bill Jones, who was the second person, <laughs> and and Sonny Perdue, who yeah. was the governor at the time. And uh, we uh, lobbied the White House uh, heavily. In fact, I remember President Bush being down at Reynolds Plantation for an event the June before, a year before. And I remember Governor Perdue at the time uh, talking directly to the govern- to the president uh, about why he should come to, uh, to Sea Island. What's fascinating, Jim, Vladimir Putin was at Sea Island, right. Georgia, which is really kind of a fascinating thing image oh, oh, to think right, about. Right, and and and, and, and it, it's kind of it. You know, it, you you look at what happened in Sea Island so many years ago, and you look at what Trump was trying to do in, in Doral, and you realize Doral was never going to fly. That was that was that was that was never going to fly. You, you're and, absolutely right. There, there was number one when they listed the people who had vetted this site. None of them was were, were involved in military or security. I would I would tell you that Sea Island has one very very specific yeah, advantage, and that is it's, it's an it's, island. It's an <laughs> island very close to Kings Bay submarine yeah. base. Yeah. Well, not not only that. I mean, having been down having been down there during the the summit. I mean, the whole island was shut down. Right. right. And there was uh, security going back across the causeway to get onto Saint Simon. You got to get onto Saint Simon's Island first to even get to Sea Island. We also, all of the world leaders landed at Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah and were helicoptered to a helicopter landing site that was set up on Sea Island. So when I heard the 
you know, comments about, well, it's by the Miami airport. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the world leaders are going to land that. That was a detriment. That was an advantage. You know, Wendy, the other thing, though, is uh, it, it, Sea Island can be sealed off pretty easily. So where do the demonstrators who always follow these G7, G8s around the world uh, have to go? Savannah, about an hour away. Uh, well, that's, where the press, that's where the press center was. And that's what the next thing I was going to say. And the pesky members of the media couldn't go out to Sea Island uh, except in the pools. I was looking at the pool arrangements today just for the fun of it. So this was a very clever a shrewd move by Eric Tannenblatt and his friends. Well, well, it, it was smart. I mean, they, they. I, I mean, I think really the they were doing it. bringing an important event to Georgia is a is a plus. I don't think they did it to make somebody on Sea Island a bunch of money, right? And that and that's what troubles people, uh, you know. And 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 there are important people who need to make sure the security is right. I hope that wherever they have it, the security is tight, the security is on point, people are safe coming there, and that people who have opinions in America who still get to express them can be nearby, that the media has good coverage. We can accomplish all that. Uh, bring them back to Sea Island. I'd love that. Well, you know, one of the things I thought about over the last you know few days watching all of this play out is that, you know, the clock is ticking. The, you cannot put something like this together uh, in a few months. And so you just it, break out the old folder out of your cabinet. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Governor Kemp would love to host the uh, the summit here. It's just, Jim, when I think about some of those people who were here that day, like President uh, Putin, who was uh, who was the uh, uh, who was prime minister? It was uh, Tony Blair? Tony Blair was prime minister in two thousand. Uh, Schroeder, Sh- yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, president, uh, the president of France in those days was Chirac. 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 And, uh, so and, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the uh, the other German uh, chancellor. Yes, Schroeder. Yeah, I'm. T- so it was really. I just. I. It's always fun on this show. Kind of put bring a little historical perspective to all of this, and you know they all had uh, gem cars that were made with their flags on it, and so these world leaders. What were, are gem cars? They're sort of like golf electric golf carts. Here's the best image from my point of view, and Jim, this tells us a lot about who George W. Bush is. I watched video of the world leaders coming in in these gem cars. I didn't right. know that's what they were called, and of course, every head of state had a driver. Uh, on these great little cars, bring them up to the building where the f- conference was going to take place. Except who? George W. Bush. He was driving his was, own was, was, was he wearing his, Was he in his jumpsuit? <laughs> no. <laughs> he didn't have any. No, he wasn't declaring it. All right. We are completely out of time for today's show. One of the things we did not get to, we are going to do it tomorrow, is, you know, Susan Rice uh, was on on second thought uh, if you saw, listen to that show last Thursday, replay it again on Sunday, and uh, Virginia Prescott did a great interview with her about her new book, and of course, some of what she had to talk about was her interactions with uh, President Trump that turned out to be a nasty back-and-forth uh, tweet. We will play some of that on tomorrow's show and get the panel to uh, talk to us a little bit about that. In the meantime, thank you, Jim Galloway, Wendy Davis, Eric Tannenblatt, for a fun show today. I'm Bill Nygut. See you all again tomorrow. <laughs>